Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. We may live over 5,000 miles from Lincoln Financial Field, but what we lack in proximity, we make up for in the film study, except maybe after Monday night games. But each and every week, we will be bringing you in-depth-ish on the short weeks, film breakdowns from across the pond and the Sooner State. Welcome to On the Shane Page. I am your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaneHalfNFL. I am joined by BGN's very own Johnny Page. Give him a follow on Twitter at JohnnyPage9. Johnny, how are you doing this evening? I would just like to say I do not agree with this. I am very in-depth. I am raring to go. Um, Master <laughs> Shane's disgust. I got my film uh, a day before, which in the land of the All-22, that that, that's worth millions um, in time and effort. So, yeah, we were saying off air, this is a weird game. So I... Uh, being English, I get up at so I got up at five thirty Tuesday in the morning to watch this, and it basically determines how good my work day is on Tuesday. Um, so I had a great day Tuesday, but then I came home that same day and then had to watch the whole. I watched about three and a half hours, basically all Tuesday evenings. I had to get it done in one day, so that was a lot of Eagles Chiefs to watch. And um, yeah, I came away actually liking the U22 more than I thought. Um, live, it just felt horrible. I think the stress just got to me live, and I really wanted to win this game. This game, Cowboys and 49ers, mean more to me. Just Cowboys, obviously, 49ers, just because they're annoying. Um, and the revenge aspect of this game, I just really wanted it. Um, so, yeah, I've got I've got quite a lot to get into. Uh, I, I enjoyed watching it back knowing we won. If, if we hadn't won, that is a rough Tuesday. My Tuesday would have been watch the Eagles lose, go to work, sulking all day, and then get home and spend three hours watching a loss. So it's much easier doing this job when we keep winning. And the last couple of years, as I've done this job, we pretty much keep winning. So uh, long may it continue. Yeah, the first year that I like consistently started covering the Eagles was 2020, and I was writing post-game articles every game. And man, that was a struggle. It's been really nice since then, but... Uh, yeah, it always annoys me that Johnny's got his film thread up on Twitter and I don't even have all 22 yet. I don't know why the NFL can get uh, film to the UK before they can get it to Oklahoma, but uh, it is what it is. And Johnny, my favorite thing, you know, Johnny tells me in our little private chat, uh, he tells me that my points, if you want them, if you wanted something to focus on as you try to blaze through the film this morning, because I got the film like two hours before we recorded. He says, here's my points if you want something to focus on. And then he didn't say anything else. And so 20 minutes later, I was like, I'm waiting on the edge of my seat. And like an hour and a half later, he actually sent them to me. So uh, we normally don't talk before we record here. Uh, that's also kind of true today. So we'll just see where this goes. Uh, Johnny has spent a lot more time with the film. I got through it all. 
Uh, there's going to be plays I reference. I don't have clips for because I just didn't have time to organize it in that way. But we wanted to make sure we got you guys this stuff here. So uh, we're going to dive into the offensive side of the ball. Uh, we'll give you three takeaways on each side of the ball. As always, Johnny, I'll throw it to you first year. What was your first offensive takeaway watching this game? Yeah, just quickly. That is completely true. Um, it was just as I went to lunch at work and I totally forgot to send it. I thought you were going to moan about I realized after how vague they were as well. I said, here's something to focus on. And my point one is just good Brian Johnson. Um, and my point two <laughs> later will be bad Brian Johnson. So it, it hardly narrows it down. So we're gonna, so basically just watch the whole off. Yeah, watch the whole game. Um, and that's pretty much what I, what I did when I went through it was really there was it was a weird game. So we're going to start um, with we'll start with the positives. Let's start with the positives. So Brian Johnson had a really interesting game. Um, live, I thought it was an absolute disaster. Um, and we'll get to that for point two. Watching about, there were some things I really liked about the offense, actually. So let's start with a positive before we get negative. Uh, firstly, I thought the Eagles had some really nice RPO designs in this game that I really enjoyed. So as always, I know it's an audio podcast. We'll get some stuff up on the screen. But if you're listening, please check out the film thread afterwards. So um, play two was my favorite one of the game from my, field thread, from my film thread. So the Eagles ran some really nice RPOs. I really like this one because I felt the Eagles used motions and shifts more effectively in this game than they had in the past. So on this particular play, they have AJ Brown in motion, and they also have a shift from the tight end coming across the formation. And basically what this does is it really stretches the apex or slot cornerback or linebacker, whatever, I think it's actually a linebacker on this particular play. And he gets stretched out wide, which basically creates a really nice um, a really nice throwing path for um, Jaden Hurts. And the Eagles did something very similar later on. Um, I, I really liked some of the stuff he did there. I also like some of the stuff we're going to talk about in the run game, which we're going to get to later on. So some of the good stuff um, will come from my point three. And um, the other stuff I really liked, uh, as well as the shifts and the motion, uh, came later on in the game. I think the Eagles got themselves figured out by about the end of the third start of the fourth quarter. And they actually had a couple of really nice plays that I really liked. So the first thing they got going is a clip nine on my thread, which is the angle screen. Um, I've seen some people call this a Texas screen. It's if you've ever played Madden, the angle route where you know the running backs kills man coverage in Madden all the time. Um, they ran a sort of angle screen to DeAndre Swift, and the Eagles offensive line was brilliant in space. I mean, Jason Kelsey on this play is laughably good for a man of his age, and um, he is not slowing down at all. And they use this really well because it's a really great play because um, the Chiefs like to blitz a lot. So it takes away some pressure. It also takes away from the ability of Chris Jones to wreck the play, which he did a lot in this game. Then my favorite, favorite play of the game in terms of Brian Johnson was uh, clip 10 of my thread, which again, it's another shift before the snap. And you could actually see the Chiefs defenders confused here. Um, Devontae Smith shifts over to create a um, bunch formation. And then they run the Andres, uh, sorry, not the Andres with uh, Devontae Smith runs this sort of slant in whatever you want to call it angle. And he's basically wide open. It's a really good job of leverage getting him open. It's actually a crucial play because I spoke about this. It's a great throw, by the way, by Hertz as well. If you watch it, really, really nice throw. And this was third and five. And the play after this was the deep shot to Devontae Smith that got him down to the one yard line. So that play doesn't happen without this third down pickup. And um, it was another example, I think, of Brian Johnson evolving a little bit. I, I, I do not have the numbers on this. I have not looked at them. This might be totally wrong, but it felt to me like shifts. Um, motion was a bigger part of the Eagles offense in this game. And I think later on, they started to get it together. So I thought we saw some good from Brian Johnson. Um, we saw a lot of 
bad as well, which we'll get to in my second point. But I want to start with a bit of praise. I think they got better as the game went on. And at the end of the day, they did manage to pick up a few really key conversions. Um, one of those key conversions was on the throw I referenced a minute ago on the deep shot to Devon, um, to Devontae Smith. So I know this is your first point. You want to focus on this play specifically. So I've also got some stuff to say about this play. But I will let you begin. And then there's anything... I feel like I could add, I'll get to it after. So what did you think of that uh, deep shot to Smith? Because it's a beautiful play. Yeah, the, I, I thought the the deep shot, there's so many good things about this. And I don't want to gloss over how incredible of a catch this is from Devonta Smith because the ball's underthrown a little bit and he does a really good job of slowing up to generate contact. He flashes the hands late and he brings it down on the goal line. But what I love is just the processing from Hertz here. So the Chiefs have been bringing slot pressures all game, and we'll, we'll use the terminology of a, a capped cornerback. And, and you see that down here in the slot uh, if you're watching. If not, I'll post the clip later. But there's a cornerback on Devonta Smith in the slot. There's a safety standing three yards behind him directly there. That's like the clearest indicator you'll ever see that the slot defender is blitzing. And that safety is there to replace coverage. So what you have behind that, it could be some sort of a fire zone coverage, uh, but we'll just simplify and say this is single high coverage. And you know our mantra on this show is single high, let it fly. And Hertz checked this play at the line of scrimmage. Brian Johnson said that after the game. This was supposed to be a mirrored crash concept. And so it, it, you look at the top of the screen, they're going to run crash at the bottom of the screen. The slot no longer runs that corner out. He runs a slot fade. Hertz does a great job in his backpedal. He, he is looking entirely at the top of the screen at a route he never intends to throw. Like He checked this specifically to throw it to Devonta Smith. So we watch his backpedal here. He's looking at the top of the screen. He's keeping the safety home. And then he sets his hips and he makes that throw to Devonta Smith. Just trust he's going to go win. What makes this even more impressive is we're going to talk about the offensive line in a minute. Hertz was being blasted all night long with pressure coming against the left side of the Eagles offensive line. Uh, they were not holding up in protection. And so it takes, I mean, there is ice in Hertz veins to trust that they're going to pick that up. They're sliding that direction to try, not even to look at it. Right. If you look over there, you're going to bring the safety. He doesn't even look at it. You can see in the back pedal here, he is looking at the top of the screen. Keep the safety home. And then he hits the top of his drop and sets and throws. And yes, it would be nice to get it two yards further downfield. It's an uncontested touchdown. But man, I thought I was so impressed by Hertz on that play, uh, recognizing that, checking into what he wanted, and then trusting the offensive line, which hadn't done a great job to pick up that pressure and deliver the ball downfield. So, uh, and if you want to be a conspiracy theorist and say that, you know, Hertz under through that to set himself up for a QB sneak, I can go with it. I respect it, but I was really impressed with Hertz and with Devonte Smith on that. Play. It's such a good play. Like, I can't tell you how many times I watched that play back. There are so many. At first I was wondering, like you said, did he actually eliminate what wasn't there on the left? Or is that really not part of his progression? And I think some comments afterwards, um, it looks like it wasn't, but that's the kind of thing you can't really tell just watching the film. The first time I thought it, I thought he processed what wasn't there really quickly. Um, my favorite thing about it is that, yes, Hurts audible to that, but that means it's part of the game plan. 
that's not just like people don't go out there and just go run a slot flay randomly that's part of their inbuilt process which is one of the beauties of running crash which you spoke about a lot is that one of the checks you can make is that you can turn that uh intermediate out into a slot fade and what i love about it is the fact that there's a couple of things really i think the fact they have aj brown running that short in which they keep throwing over and over again means that the Chiefs are most likely going to double him or at least have eyes on it. And the second thing I love is it's about using your player's strength. So Dallas Goddard is the best intermediate out route runner on this team. Why? Because he's big. He can box out cornerbacks. He can create, he can catch the ball without a lot of separation. Devontae Smith is not that kind of player. And um, he's not the kind of player you want running that kind of route all day long. He's much, he's a great, great slot fade runner. Um, I think going back to what, two years ago, maybe his first game or Hurt's first game under Sirianni when we played, was it the Falcons? And they threw a slot fade to Devontae Smith. He's always excelled on that route. So it's a really good part of game planning because game planning isn't just simply what plays you run. It's how do we deal with whatever coverage we're going to see. Hurt's does not get phased. Like on the 22, I didn't find it as bad as a Hurt's game as I thought, actually. Um, I felt like the pressure was just pretty insane, actually. Um, and he really just couldn't get set. So overall, I think this was a better Hurts game um, than I expected to see. I just don't really think he had a chance, but he does not get phased at all. He is ice cold. He can have the worst half ever. and I still feel like he is going to come back and win. I've seen some, I mean, Twitter's a terrible place for people taking the, <laughs> making fun about players and there's lots of comments about Hurts' TD and inception ratio and whatever. Like, I just don't care. I, I watch every single throw he's made this year. He is playing very, very, very well. And he is as good as it gets he's in there at the top top in the league um nothing seems to phase him and he's just a really good quarterback now like we, we don't need guys we don't need really to really to go into depth about it because we do every week um he's just a really good player and those winning numbers are not fluky he knows exactly what to do whether you believe in qb wins or not yes it's a team stat but it's also partly a quarterback stat um he seems to carry this team at very very important moments um and yeah it's, it's a really 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 good uh throw um, that's the good. I want to get to some good later on as well when we talk about the run game, but there was quite a lot of bad as well in this one. Um, do you yeah. want to start? I will just say before, yeah, sorry, before you move on, it, it was one of those things that like the, the Eagles just were struggling and yet the chiefs continue. They drive down and they fumble in the red zone. They continue. They throw an interception in the end zone. Like you just couldn't help, but feel like even down 10 with the offense out of sorts, like, the Chiefs just aren't putting the Eagles away. And that's not something you usually feel in a game like that. You usually feel that when you're watching like college football and it's a, a bad team that's playing a good team and the good teams just, you know, the bad team's playing well, but they're just not putting up points. You're like, man, they really need to increase this lead. I was watching the Chiefs and felt that way. Like they're just not putting the Eagles away. And that's a huge testament to how unflappable the Eagles are when things aren't going their way. I mean, Jalen Hurts has won seven straight games where he's had a double, where he's trailed by double digits. No other quarterback's done that more than four times in a row. And so that's a huge testament to this offense and to this team as a whole. Yeah, to be honest, it's boring talking about it because there's no like great things we can show on the screen. And it sounds so like basic analysis, <laughs> the Eagles win, but it's just true. Like they're just incredibly good at closing out games. They're as, as good as it gets really um, at winning these type of games. Um, however, this was not a pretty performance on offense. Before I get into some of the bad, I think a lot of yours links to mine because you're going to talk about pressure. Um, there were some quite concerning 
elements of the Eagles offense, I thought, win this game, despite what we've said so far. So do you want to get into some of the pressure that Hurts faced in this one? I mean, I might get into some specific uh, criticisms I had of the overall game plan. Yes, let's do it. So one of the things that I thought the Eagles really struggled with in this game was picking up pressure, particularly on the left side of the line, uh, particularly Cam Jurgens. And so I'm not going to claim to be a you know, mega offensive guru. I'm just going to tell you what I see and how I think this should be blocked up. But the Chiefs ran a lot of uh, TE stunts. Uh, that's what that means simply is that the defensive tackle is going to attack towards the offensive tackle. So he's, he's crashing outside and then you loop the end back inside. And so just watch this first clip here. You'll see what I'm saying. Uh, Chris Jones attacks inside the defensive end crosses behind him, right? Now that's difficult, but what makes it harder is they were tagging that with a slot pressure so many times. And so you're getting three rushing off that edge. And even though the Eagles were sliding that direction, they weren't getting it picked up properly. So on this first play here, uh, you'll see Chris Jones, you get the, and this is sort of well picked up. That one's, that one's about as good as you're going to get. You won't see it picked up that well the rest of the game. Kenny Gainwell steps over, uh, Cam Jurgens. So in this instance, I think Jurgens is right to, to take the looper coming inside because you have Gainwell in protection to account for that slot blitzer. Hertz still gets happy feet in the pocket. He gets sacked. The rest of these examples, though, there's only three in the protection. So you're sliding this direction. There's three guys to block three guys. And what I don't understand is why Cam Jurgens continues to pass off this defensive tackle. So the defensive tackle is trying to work to Lane Johnson. And then you have a, a slot blitzing Trent McDuffie coming off of the edge. And Cam Jurgens keeps trying to pass this off to Lane. Like there's a fourth person that's going to pick up the slot blitzer. And he puts Lane in terrible positions. And, and so if we watch this one play out, I, I think that what Cam needs to do, you just need to stay with this guy. Kelsey is there. He's unoccupied. He can take the defensive end looping inside. And you just end up two on one and Hertz gets strip sacked. Fortunately, he gets on the ball. You watch it from the back view here and just see that Kelsey is totally unoccupied, right? Kelsey could pick up the defensive end. He could pick up Carl Loftus. And I just think Cam Jurgens is playing this one wrong. And you see it again later in this game. Uh, there's one more clip that I'll show here. It's the same exact scenario. And he just gets turned around. And so the Chiefs were constantly getting pressure rushing three against three. See right here, he throws his hands and he tries to come to this defensive end looping inside and he puts Lane Johnson two on one. That should never happen. Three on three should never turn into two on one. And so I thought a lot of the pressure issues uh, were related to Cam Jurgens not passing these off correctly. And I'm surprised um, that that wasn't corrected on the sideline. Now, those two happened on the same drive, so he didn't get to come off and talk to Stoutland. Maybe they cleaned that up. Maybe that's why I didn't see it a lot the rest of the game. But could be as simple as Cam Jurgens' first game off of injury, not used to working out there again. Uh, he runs into a buzzsaw that is Steve Spagnolo and his defensive pressure package designs. Uh, but I thought a lot of the woes of the offense facing pressure early in the game boiled down to Cam Jurgens handling those stunts wrong. Yeah, dare I say, he also may struggle because he might not be a guard long-term. Um, 
I really like what Jurgens can do. I think maybe slightly overrated the points this week. And I'm going to get into the run game for my third point later on. But there are some comments I saw like, oh, the Eagles run game was back because Jurgens can pull. And no, um, Jurgens wasn't the pulling guard on pretty much any of the Eagles' uh, successful gap scheme runs. So that's a bit of a myth as well that sounds very cool to say, but it's simply not true. And um, when we get to the running game, it changed for other reasons. Um, but yeah, my second point was about bad Brian Johnson, nice and specific. So I actually don't have any clips of this play because I couldn't be bothered to tweet them out. But the wide receiver screens were felt like a wasted play in this game. And I'm not going to get on like a big point about screens. There's a time and a place for screens. Sometimes you throw a screen, there's a cornerback right there. The receiver walks past him, makes a man miss like Rice did to Slay. And you pick up 15 yards, everything's fine. But I think Julio Jones might be done. Like uh, he was very slow in this game. And I think he might be a red zone weapon slash hybrid tight end only. Running a wide receiver screen to him is, is you, you're losing a down. Like it's it's nothing against Julio. It's just not really worth it. Um, the biggest complaint I had was some of the calls earlier on. And I think it's not just Brian Johnson. It comes from above. But there was two plays in particular that stood out. Um, the first one you've actually already shown from a pass protection side. But the first third down of the game, um, play one on my film, Fred. If someone can explain uh, how on earth this concept is meant to look to me, I would love to know. So the Eagles basically run mirrored concepts. Uh, mirrored concepts, if you don't know, is where you run the exact same play on the left-hand side and the right-hand side. It's two-by-two two set. You get like these deep sort of in and then short ins and it's like a high low style concept type of thing but you look at it and there's four receivers within 10 yards of each other and nobody anywhere else and i remember live being really disappointed and thinking ah hurts dropped his eyes there i didn't like that from hurts when you watch your 22 then no wonder he dropped his eyes there is no chance here and it's not just no chance for that to be your first third down call of the game like when you're scripting the first 15 20 25 plays or whatever Third and five, it's not an unmanageable situation. For that to be the call, um, and that's a bit alarm bells ringing um, in some ways. I'm not going to tweet fire Brian Johnson because that's laughable and he's done some very good things this year. But that is a weird third down play call. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about was I still felt like the Eagles had moments in this game where they are over-reliant on trying to hit big plays. And now I think this comes from Sirian as much as anyone. But a good example is play five on my film, Fred. So this is a play the Eagles keep running called Heat. Some of you remember it because the Eagles have hit a few big shots of it this year. And it's a basically where the one outside receiver runs a very, very, very deep crossing uh, route or slot receiver in this case in Devontae Smith. And the other receiver runs a sort of in-breaking curl hitch, whatever you want to call it, in the middle of the field. Um, it's very good against quarters. Uh, because the idea is the safety on the side of the short in will take him and then you can throw the deep over over um deep over over <laughs> the safety's head um some of you might remember this play from Jaden hurts getting intercepted a few weeks ago when the play was also slow developing and the eagles had a backup right tackle in and they still ran the play the backup right tackle got beat hurts got hit he got intercepted uh this game uh, the play doesn't go a great deal better because basically it takes too long to develop. Now, I think you could argue that Hertz could check this down a little bit quicker, um, and I think he should do. Um, so I'm not blaming Brian Johnson entirely. I just think from a game planning point of view, and I'm being very nitpicky here, um, it's a very slow developing play, and the Eagles could not handle Chris Jones at this point in the game. He was wrecking everything. 
was that the time to run an explosive play like that or did you need to get a little bit more um safety first should we say maybe run some quick game maybe run some double slants maybe run some more rpos i feel like there was more stuff the eagles could have done and it felt like quick game was wide receiver screens um they were still a little bit focused on down the field shots that were slightly slow to develop um and i thought overall i'm being harsh here but i'll put some of the offensive line play on um, Brian Johnson as well. At the end of the day, he's the offensive coordinator. If they're having troubles with stunts, if they're having trouble with Chris Jones and matching up and protection, that's clearly not just him. There's a bunch of coaches to go into it. But I'm just going to label it as bad overall. Um, bad Brian Johnson, shall we say. Um, all 22 is really interesting. And I always think it's about all sports because when you watch the game back, you get a very different feel than when you watch it live. Back, I felt it was an okay game plan overall. And I thought it was better than I thought. But I can't take away from my gut feeling watching the game live. That was simply this offense is not well structured. It's too up and down. It's too hit or miss. Um, and I felt like the passing game in particular was really poor early on. Um, I think I saw someone uh, tweet this, but I think the third and five completion I mentioned earlier on was the first time Hurst actually got a pass out of his hand to throw it on third down all game. And that's not a sign of a great uh, play design of an offense because. Yes, the Chiefs' defensive line is really good, but there should be other things you can do. Um, and that stuff they got to later on, those bunch sets, that quick into Devontae Smith, that could have been run earlier on in the game. And I felt like they got away from it um, a little bit. Are you going to bring up some wonderful stats here to prove me correct? Yeah, that that was... that. I don't know if you saw it from me, but I went actually. back and looked at their... Okay, I went back and looked at their third downs. They had 10 third down plays. Uh, their average distance to go was 8.7 yards. Uh, they called six pass plays, the first three of which resulted in sacks. The fourth one resulted in a five-yard scramble on a third and 10. Um, and then they had the completion to Devontae Smith. That completion to Devontae Smith in the fourth quarter with 6.55 left was the first time the Eagles threw a pass on third. Yeah, that's, that's not good enough. I, I don't care whose thought that is, but I, I must admit... I hadn't seen that stat before. So as I said, we don't, we're pretty honest when we talk here. I didn't come away thinking that was a Jalen Hurts problem. Um, I came away thinking that was an offensive design play calling problem where some of them Hurts just had no chance at all. So that's why I've lumped into the bad Brian Johnson section. Is there anything you wanted to add before, as always, we've taken up forever, before we get to our third and final point? Because I'm excited to talk a little bit of run game, as I always am. People know it's my thing by now. <laughs> Yeah, I just keep run game penciled in as your third point. Basically. So you, we can say we don't talk about him and we don't necessarily know what we're going to do, but I always know you're going to have a run game point. Um, you left out the worst Ryan, Brian Johnson play of all. You said you wouldn't, you didn't tweet like fire Brian Johnson. I tweeted fire Brian Johnson, launch him into the sun. Could I guess? Like, leave him like, Leave him in Kansas City. Like yeah, guess the I play. mean, it's not a guess, you know. Is it the shotgun run or third and one? Oh, absolutely. Right. You haven't converted a third down all night and you get to third and one with a play that converts 95% of the time and you go shotgun. And it would be one thing if it was like, well, Hertz just can't do the QB sneak right now. They ran it three times after that, including the next possession. So uh, I, I have defended Brian Johnson throughout the season and something snapped in my brain and I tweeted out like four different things about firing him and leaving him in Kansas city and, launching him to the sun and all within like two minutes. I don't even think I watched the chiefs next drive. I couldn't tell you what happened. I just blacked out and was full rage on Twitter. 
Right. Uh, well, apologies to my uh, everyone who says Brian Johnson fire him is an idiot comment, which I think I may have said. Apparently, that includes you. Um, um, but yeah, that, I, I didn't even talk about that call because it was just dumb, wasn't it? It was just stupid. Um, right. Do you want to talk your third point? And then I'm going to have some fun with a run game. Uh, your third point, I believe, staring at my sheet in front of me, says you're going to talk about personnel, which was a big talking point, wasn't it, from last week, actually, um, about what the Eagles are going to do without Dallas Goddard. I don't know if they really solved it this week, um, but they did some things that were interesting. Um, so I'm interested to hear what you're going to say about this, because I was a bit unsure about the Eagles' use of personnel, personally. Yeah, it was, I like that, unsure about their personnel, personally. Um, it was just different. Like I think it's noteworthy. And Injuries play into a lot of this. Dallas Goddard's gone, so you're not going to run as much with a tight end on the field. But the Eagles ran zero plays out of 12 personnel in the first nine weeks. Or excuse me, out of 10 personnel, which is one running back, no tight ends, four receivers. Zero. They ran 24% of their plays against the Chiefs out of 10 personnel. So they called nine pass plays, four run plays out of 10 personnel. Uh you also saw an uptick in pony package usage, which is two running backs. Uh, they had 15 pony package plays in the first nine weeks, which was 2.3% of their plays. That went up to 7.5% against the Chiefs. And then you mentioned this earlier, and I don't have the statistics for motion across the board, but particularly motion on run plays. Before the bye was at 22%. And against the Chiefs, it was at 33.3%. So uh, I don't know if that carries across. I didn't look up across the board for passing plays, but they definitely motioned more to get into the running plays. Some of that has to do with the pony packages, something they did a lot in this game. Uh, they they used pony personnel with DeAndre Swift in the slot, and they motioned him across the formation at the snap, and they would pull a tight end with him, but they ran the ball the other direction, like outside zone with Boston Scott. And they did that two times. The third time they handed the ball to uh, DeAndre Swift on that sweep or end around, whatever you want to call it. And it went for like 30 yards. And so I thought that was a really cool thing. A look that they showed multiple times before that it paid off with a big play in the fourth quarter. Um, I don't know if they will stick with that heavy of a usage of 10 personnel, but I really thought it was interesting. Um, and you could definitely tell that not having a tight end attached, it did cause some issues in terms of your pass protection. Not that they keep Dallas Goddard in a lot, but there's traffic there that makes it harder for you to run these games and for uh, a slot to blitz. And so we'll see how that, if they are able to adjust to that. But I did like seeing particularly the pony package and the motion on running plays. Yeah, I would agree. Let's, I'm going to talk a little bit more about run game because I feel like I should at least put run game in my bio somewhere on Twitter. Uh, it's quickly becoming my thing. So I am fascinated with running games at the moment, uh, looking across the league and the Eagles. It became an obsession of mine in the offseason. Um, I tweeted out something about DeAndre Swift yesterday saying, I don't personally think he's a lead back and got, as I expected, a ton of hate. Um, well, not hate is the wrong word. Uh, constructive criticism. Uh, telling people people telling me that I'm wrong. Um, and by that, I mean, I, I don't see a sustaining element to the Eagles run game at the moment. Now, they did some great things in this game that I want to talk about. The third and one was a good example. There's a couple where he just sort of falls down at the first man. And I think DeAndre Swift is a brilliant running back, but I don't see him as a 
feature inside the numbers. I, I, I don't know what's happening to Rashad Penny. I, I don't really get it because I think Trey Sermon could have done a job um, if it wasn't going to be Penny. But I, I, I don't see it with Scott or Gainwell. To me, they're too similar in the way they play. They actually ran one under centre carry with Boston Scott in this game. And I sort of just watched it and went, why is this a new thing to one to run one under centre carry a week? Um, but anyway, I do want to talk about some of the things they did that I really enjoyed. So gap scheme was back. Eagles run game, quarterback run game was back. And some of this was so well done. And please don't tell me it's all because of Cam Jurgens because he never pulled in any of these concepts. So please don't say that. Um, there's some examples that I loved. So the first thing I think the Eagles did really well in this game was they got DeAndre Swift outside a lot. I think there was a lot of outside zone from the second the game began. The inside zone, split zone stuff was pretty gone. Um, pretty much gone. They didn't run a lot of it at all. It was very, very much an outside zone game. And there was a lot more gap scheme. So we did see some QB counter. We saw some running back counter. We saw some pimple. So I can give you a few examples of some of the snaps that I really, really liked and explain why. So firstly, if you look at my film threads and you've got play free, uh, this is a fantastic pin pull concept that the Eagles run. Uh, it's the same side pin pull. Um, pin pull, for anyone who doesn't know, and very simply, normally what happens on the offensive line is if you have a, uh, and I'll try and say this the right way, as I was when you're doing a podcast, never be easy. If there is a defender on your, should we say, outside shoulder, therefore um, you will sort of pull. Whereas if you've got somebody inside you, um, you will essentially down block. So you'll be able to see Kels and Mylata here will pull uh, because of the alignment of the defense. And the beauty of pin pull is that sort of anyone can pull depending on the opposing formation. But what they do here, as you can see, Kelsey has no one inside him. Mylata has no one inside him. And I mean, Kelsey's so good in this. So is Jordan Mylata. And it's brilliant for this offense because it gets DeAndre Swift on the outside, gets him following blocks. It makes things easy for him vision-wise. And the offensive line do a really good job, except Cam Jurgens, who missed a few blocks in general in this game, as you've already mentioned. Um, also highlighting in this play, this is why 10 personnel is not as good because you can't do this about Jack style. Uh, if you see Jack Stoll's down block, which enables Jordan Mylata to get in space. Um, and I love the fact he's like celebrating as DeAndre Swift is running. Uh, if you haven't seen this, just watch uh, Jack Stoll as DeAndre Swift's going downfield. Because uh, that is the kind of tight end who loves run blocking. You can sense that he doesn't care about his targets. He's a run blocker at heart. So it was really good to see some more pimple, which was something that I really, really liked to see. Um, the other things I really liked, you mentioned this example, but if people haven't seen the clip, it's clip seven of mine which this is a good example of personnel that you're on about pony personnel with deandre swift in the slot and it's just a simple reverse um they just hand the ball off to him but it's deandre swift in space i mean he is so good in the open field he's as good as there is he's top five running back in the open in the open field like he is electric the chiefs defenders had absolutely no idea this was coming um it's not a play i've ever seen the eagles run um with deandre swift and it's the kind of thing that you can then do a lot um in the future what I do think is interesting, though, um, is that it was obviously you can't do this the same way unless you're under center. So one of the reasons why the Eagles don't do this is because they're not under center a lot. So could this be something we see in the future? Could we see some more under center runs from pony personnel? Because they're now going to use this. This is classic Shanahan, like wide zone, under center, QB. This is classic. We don't do a lot of it, but I just like the idea it's something else the Eagles could do. What I now want to see is can you run some fakes out of this? Can you boot their Kurtz out? Can, there's so much more you can do with this. Um, so that play is really exciting. I hope it's not just a one-off thing we see once and never again, um, because I am fine going a bit more under centre. And the other play I really, really wanted to talk about is the Turks touchdown. Um, sorry to 
Twitter legend Brian Baldiger, but I was going a bit insane yesterday because he called this QB power and I'm watching it like it's not power. And I checked with a few coaches that I'll occasionally tweet um, and they agreed with me. It's definitely not power. Um, this is uh, CT counter. CT counter, if you see online, is very, very simply the center and the tackle are the two who pull. Um, it's brilliant against the Chiefs blitz. Um, package especially when they run away from pressure which is really good the offensive line just do such a good job here like what i love about this play more than anything is you essentially get kels and mylata running to the same side as lane johnson so the trio that hurts ends up running behind is lane johnson jordan mylata and jason kels like when you say those three names it doesn't get a lot better and i know i bang on about this a lot i just think the eagles run game is so much better when they're pulling linemen i think they're really good at creating angles and it's not rocket science wide they've got some of the most athletic linemen there are in the game if not the most athletic offensive line in the game and they're just really good they're really good in space they're really good pudding i think it suits the offense better i think we finally got back to some gap scheme it wasn't the same old 10 12 carries of inside zone split zone so long may it continue um, if Hertz can properly run now, then I think we could see some more QB counter bash. Um, this is just standard counter with a quarterback. Uh, QB counter bash would be sort of like uh, the running back going the other way. But there's stuff you can do. There's stuff you can build on. So I'm really optimistic about the run game after this one. It wasn't the best run game in the world. I still think they lack a foundation presence. And I know people disagree with me on that. And that's fine. It's a philosophical choice. It's the way I view football. I just want a little bit more consistency. You showed the third down earlier on being what an average of third and 8.5 or something. That's where I think having a sustainer can get you to third and five, third and six more. I'm not talking like Derek Henry here. I'm just talking a slightly bigger back who maybe gets tackled for three yards and falls forwards and makes it four and a half, five yard gain. That's all. But overall, uh, we spoke about the offense for long enough because we've got a lot to say about defense, I think. But I enjoyed a lot more of the Eagles running game and especially the quarterback run game and the outside zone slash counter slash pimple stuff the Eagles did in this one. I think it was just a better run scheme in general. And I think they looked at the bye week. They used the bye week effectively on offense, especially on defense, which we'll come to. But they definitely looked at that run game, I think. Um, and I don't think it was just a case of Hurst being healthy. Uh, the outside the outside zone stuff they did with the Andre Swift, the pimple stuff they did. I think that was definitely something they looked at in the bye week as I was really hoping they would. And I hope those continues imp those improvements continue throughout the second half of the season. Yeah, they. Um, the, I loved that play with Hertz because the chief the the Eagles are in empty and the Chiefs are bringing an overload pressure on the left. They're bringing six against five, and they're saying to the Eagles, "You can't block this." To which the Eagles laugh and say, "We never were going to try to block this," and they just run away from it, like. We don't need to block your guys coming off the left because we're running to the right. And by the way, we're just going to pull our left tackle in our center too. Those guys can come free and good luck trying to make a tackle. So uh, I loved seeing that. That was one of my favorite plays of the game. Uh, I thought about talking about the Eagles red zone, which we could certainly talk about, uh, but I figured you would probably grab that when you talked about the run game. So uh, enough time on the offense here. We're going to throw it to a quick break, and then we will be back to break down the defense. So keep it tuned here on the Shane page. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. 
How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Sure, a good souvenir is always fun. But it's the experiences that people love the most about traveling. When you get back home, that t-shirt might fade and that snow globe might break, but it's those once-in-a-lifetime memories that will last. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like architectural sightseeing, snorkeling excursions, sunset cruises, and so much more. With Viator, you can reserve everything from simple tours to thrilling adventures with over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries. Whether you're a foodie, a history buff, or an adrenaline junkie, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you can have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Make memories that will last forever with Viator. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. And we are back here on the Shane page, turning the page to the defensive side of the ball. If you didn't like this 38 minutes of offense, we're going to talk about a unit that went a whole lot, ran a whole lot more smoothly uh, in this game. So let's get to the defense. Johnny, what was your first big takeaway looking at the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this game plan. Um, the Chiefs are a good offense. I know they sort of suck at wide receiver, but they've got a handful of half-talented players and they've got Patrick Mahomes. So they're always going to be a dangerous offense. What I wanted to see is, and this is sort of the point of this podcast, I think, and what we do when we write and watch films, we just want to see that the obvious areas of improvement are being corrected. I've never felt so annoyed, I think, on this podcast, both of us, as we did watching the Eagles play two linebackers against Cowboys. Um, that... I mean, if you listen to the podcast and you read the articles, you know all about it. It wasn't like we're not experts. We're not coaches. They know way more than us. And it was obvious to us. It was obvious to the Cowboys offensive staff that the Eagles had a huge issue. And it wasn't just personnel. So don't tell me it was all personnel. They had Sidney Brown in that game. They had Josh Job. They could have done more. So obviously they used the bye week because they're looking at a lot of film coaches. They've got a lot to do. They're also trying to deal with specific game plans and coaching players on a weekly basis and et cetera, et cetera. So I get it. But... Once you had the week off, you sat back and watched that. It was blatantly obvious that personnel was a huge issue and they massively changed it up. And it was so cool to see. So immediately, literally immediately on the first third down of the game, uh, play two on my film thread, the Eagles went to dime, which they continuously went to all game. So they didn't have two linebackers on the field. They had one linebacker on the field. Um, that allowed Sidney Brown to be quite often with deep safety. Um, it also enabled them to double Travis Kelsey with two safeties. And they, safety is always the best matchup for Kelsey. You don't necessarily want a corner on him because of his size. Um, the other really interesting thing about this was they played three edge defenders, um, which meant that you could get Hassan Reddick as like a stand-up, off-the-ball style player as he is here. It's just a really good use of resource. Like you don't need on third and long to have two linebackers on the field, especially when they both suck in pass coverage, um, let's be honest. So that was really cool. So some of the Eagles' um, coverages were just really, really good. And I know you're going to get more specifically into the Travis Kelsey coverage. 
um, later on the way they played him. So I'm not going to go too much on that. And I know your point is also similarly to mine about Dime. Um, I just thought that was a really good idea. Um, I'll give you one more example. I mean, I'm sure you've got a lot to say about this as well. But place six on my film thread is where they use something called one double. Uh, One double was very simply a version of cover one man. But rather than playing like one hole or one robber, uh, you play one double, which means you essentially take away that hole defender and you double uh, the opposing offense's best weapon. They used it a lot on Travis Kelsey here. Um, But again, it's just so much better seeing Darius Slay in the slot, seeing uh, cornerbacks running with receivers, not linebackers. And it's just really good because I think last year, the Eagles were so dominant throughout the year. We didn't really see them correct their flaws and the flaws kept coming up and up and up. I don't expect perfection from my coordinators because no one is. But what I want to see is that when a problem happens, they can fix it. And I've already mentioned it. I was so frustrated after the Cowboys game because to me it was obvious and I'm a guy sitting here watching film on a Tuesday night and I'm going, it's madness that you're playing two linebackers on third and long and you're getting repeatedly killed by it. They also were much better against bunches and stacks. I don't think the Eagles played anywhere near as much man. The data's not out that I look up online yet for some of the stats with it being a Monday night game, so I can't be as certain. But it felt like they were more inclined to not just play straight up man against bunches and stacks, and they didn't get done anywhere near as much um, as a defense as they had done in the past. So I just have huge credits to Sean Desire. Every game plan has not been perfect this year. I think you always have rotated uh, tinted glasses on after one good game. There has been problems this year, but I want to see defensive coordinators learn from their mistakes, especially young ones. And I think their coverage, their use of personnel was so, so much better in this game. It was just sensible. Double Travis Kelsey. If you lose in other ways, that's perfectly fine. When Patrick Mahomes makes a ridiculous throw to Justin Watson on third down, um, there is nothing you can do. No one is going to blame your defensive coordinator for those kind of plays. But your job is to put your players in the best position they can. And I think overall, the Eagles um, defensive staff did that this week. Yeah. um, We came on this podcast after the Cowboys game and ranted about the Eagles' unwillingness to play dime. Said so, like at some point you just have to play a dime defense. And maybe that's related to Bradley Roby was hurt and Kevin Byer just joined the team and you just don't have the number of defensive backs that you feel comfortable in. Well, Roby was back and they played dime. Uh, the Eagles only played dime on 10 snaps before the bye. That's 1.7% of their snaps. They played it on 20 snaps against the Chiefs. 27% of their snaps, they were in dime. They they went to, largely it was four down linemen, one linebacker, three cornerbacks, three safeties. They used Sidney Brown like you mentioned a lot. And Sidney Brown got, got a time or two. Uh, you still like him better out there than having Nicholas Morrow and Zach Cunningham side by side on third and longs and on things like that. So, it you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and tie this in with my Travis Kelsey point because I think they just go well together. But uh, so my first point was about the big dime. My my other point is what that allowed them to do and, and the way that they were able to play Travis Kelsey. They played a lot of one double, like Johnny mentioned, cover one, your whole defender instead of being a whole defender it is playing inside leverage on Travis Kelsey. And they did that with a lot of success in this game. Uh, Travis Kelsey ended up with like seven receptions for 44 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Kevin Byard, you you might ask why was Sidney Brown deep? 
Well, because Kevin Byard was on Travis Kelsey. And that's what you want to be able to do. And I thought Byard did a pretty good job on Travis Kelsey throughout the night. He had a lot of help inside. Um, sometimes they would uh, try to trap Kelsey on outbreaking routes and have Byard playing inside release, but they did a lot of things. There was there was a lot of times they played zone coverage, but immediately they would like have somebody attached to Kelsey. A lot of times Zach Cunningham at the line of scrimmage. Zach Cunningham loves to hit people, right? We've talked about that, that aggressive jam, and then they're going to get by him. That's not as big a deal when it's zone coverage. And so there were several times that right off the snap, uh, Zach Cunningham just like aggressively like hits Travis Kelsey in the chest and then Travis Kelsey burns it, but that's fine. It's zone coverage. There's somebody else right there. And I thought they did a really good job mixing that up. Um, and then one of my favorite plays, and I apologize, I don't have the clip because um, it's been crazy trying to get this podcast organized for today on the short week, but there was a clip on a crucial down late in the game where they line up obviously playing one double on Travis Kelsey before the snap, except it's not. And right at the snap, Zach Cunningham, who has the inside leverage on Travis Kelsey, it turns out he's not actually doubling Travis Kelsey. He takes like two hard steps across the formation and Patrick Mahomes sees that pre-snap and immediately eliminates Kelsey. And he goes to a slant to Justin Watson coming from the left to the right. And he throws it. And Zach Cunningham's right there to collision the catch point, and it turns into an incompletion. So I loved with the things they did against Kelsey and then picking their spots in those third downs. It's like we've been so obvious doubling Kelsey. We're going to show that pre-snap and bail into something different. And they baited Mahomes on that one, and it got the Eagles off the field. So uh, I will try to find the clip later and tweet it out. I thought I recorded it, but apparently did not. So I just really liked their approach from a personnel standpoint and from their Let's erase Travis Kelsey. Yeah, I tweeted this yesterday as well. The number one thing that stuck out to me from this game was they just tried a bunch of different stuff. Like they just tried things. And I think sometimes it can't be underestimated that these people are human. Mahomes is a human. And sometimes you just throw stuff at him and see what happens. Like you're not going to shut every NFL offense out. You're going to give up points, but you win some, you lose some. You might get a few takeaways. You might stop them occasionally. Just try things and Sean Desire is not scared about that at all. I'll give you one other play I really liked. I know you've done your first two points before I get into a little bit of a moan about the defense, but only moan actually about the defense in this game. Um, I would agree with something you said, but I thought Kevin Byard was really good actually. And I think there was maybe a play in the end zone about a crosser that he didn't pick up, but I don't really know who's at fault for that. So I'm not going to kill him for that because I don't know how they coached and what they're supposed to do. It may have been someone else, but I thought Byard and Blankenship is going to end up being a really good partnership. Um, I think they both complement each other really well. Um, I think Bayard is much better in zone coverage, and we saw this in this game. He had a couple of really good reps of zone, not even including the Travis Kelsey one. But one thing I really liked as well, if you go to play 11 of my um, film thread as well, so it's a big third down. I think it was third and 12 later on in the game. Uh, the Eagles go with dime once again. Um, and what I love about this is, um, firstly, the coverage is fantastic. Bayard does a great job on Travis Kelsey. But Patrick Mahomes is brilliant outside the pocket. So by putting Reddick as like a stand-up, if you see in this play, he's like a stand-up. He's almost like a spy. I don't think he got, he rushes like you'd expect him to. He's almost just watching. He's half rushing, half watching. But that closing speed is outrageous on that play. And the reason why I love it is because if you play two defensive tackles, two edge defenders, and tell your edge defenders to get upfield, bend the edge, Reddick can't do that. 
So that's a really good use, whether that's specific for Patrick Mahomes, whether that's going to be something they do against more mobile quarterbacks. But I love the idea of playing three edge defenders and playing because Graham's like a defensive tackle anyway these days. So Graham's going to be more like a defensive tackle. And I really like that as a way of playing, having Reddick as a stand-up defender, because not many players can chase Mahomes out of the pocket like he did there. And he looked lightning quick. Um, however, there was one really odd flaw with the defense this week. And I don't know if you noticed this watching the game or whether it was something that I just picked up on, but um, what on earth happened to the Eagles edge defenders against the run in this game? And it was weird. Like watching the game, it felt like the Eagles got run over a lot. And then when you look at, they didn't really score that often. So you think, oh, well, maybe it wasn't terrible. But when you think about it, I think they had like 160 rushing yards or I think that includes Mahomes, but uh, Pacheco had about 90, I think. And even Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a big run. Um, but three of those plays came on huge outside runs. If you take away those three huge outside runs, um, Pacheco would have been like 17 for 60 or something, like very average. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire would have basically not existed because he only had two carries. So without those three outside runs, the running defense wasn't as horrendous as I thought. So I don't really know what happened. I don't know if the edge defenders just lost it, whether they were so obsessed with getting upfield, but they weren't even getting upfield. Normally they bend the edge as well. It was just weird. So a few clips I wanted to show and a few examples I wanted to talk about and see if there's something I'm missing here or if it's just bad play by the edge defenders. So the first one was um, third play on my film thread. Um, Hassan Reddick just jumps inside. Now, the way Fletcher Cox plays this, he has such an outside shoulder lean i wonder if this is deliberate and like they're expecting cox to set the edge i i, I have no idea i'm very very surprised if they're expecting anything from darius slay because he's a man coverage as a isolated as on an isolated receiver so he should not be part of your run uh fit on this particular play um i don't really get it like i, I don't really get what reddick is doing if he just try i think it might be because it's like a counter run and it looks like Pacheco is going to go to the left-hand side. So Reddick tries to get cute. If you see the way it's run, uh, it's not actually a counter run, but as in it looks like it's inside zone to the other side and Pacheco ends up bouncing outside. So that was one play that I thought, oh, okay, that was once. Then Josh Sweat, who never really does this, just had a bit of a nightmare. Um, so clip seven, um, I think might be the worst one of the lot because at least on the first play, I wondered if they were doing something funky with like Fletcher Cox replacing him on this play. I've got nothing like Josh Sweat just jumps inside. I mean, it's Clyde over to there. He's not a good runner. Sweat's just not there. Um, I know there's like a linebacker and safety coming down, but they're not going to be used to set the edge. They'll be used to sort of help out. Um, just weird, like really, really easy. I think that's a 20 yard, 15 yard gain or something. Slide over to there. Um, I don't want to, everyone can get beat in the run game, of course, like you can lose, it happens, but it just felt really easy. Um, like that's just basics, like getting, not setting your edge. And then they did it again. Josh Sweat did it another time. Um, I think it was uh, clip nine of my Fred. And I think this might've been the biggest one of the lot. And it's just the same. It's just the same thing. Josh Sweat just knifes inside. Uh, he tries to knife inside and, I know running backs are taught to look for the helmet of the defender. You can quite clearly see that Josh Sweat is flashing his helmet in, on the inside shoulder of the tackle. So it's not even a complicated read. It's really easy. Um, Zach Cunningham is sort of charging out wide, but I, that's not his responsibility to set the edge. Like that's I'm, I'm watching it so many times and it just has to be Josh Sweat. Like I'm trying to see if I can figure out what's going on. Like, am I missing something? Um, because it's 
you've already got done once in the game. Um, and I think if you take away those three big runs, actually the run defense wasn't as bad as I thought. Um, I don't really have an explanation for what happened other than Reddick and Sweat were just a little bit too obsessed with trying to create plays and get upfield, um, which is fine. It happens. It might happen once a game, but three times a game. Um, disappointing. Um, that was disappointing. But I think the Eagles' run fits have been really good this year. They've been really disciplined. Um, this is a very technical schematic point, but I think what they've done this year is last year they had a real issue with sort of nub sets where opposing offenses would basically stick three wide receivers on one side of the field. And then what that would do is that would force Darius Slay to come in as a run defender. The Eagles have been much better this year at preventing those situations from happening. And they haven't asked their cornerbacks to be as much of a factor in the run game, partly because they've maybe our safeties come down and help or because their linebackers have just been more aggressive or they've played more five man fronts. There's lots of things they've done. Um, but this game wasn't down to the cornerbacks. Like I'm pretty sure on those three plays, it's Reddick and it's sweat and it's sweat at fault. Um, hopefully it's not a theme hopefully it's not something we're talking about in the future because those outside runs can kill you and against more electric running backs Pacheco's not actually a great outside runner he's much more of a lower the shoulder and get some tough yards so if you play like a really good running back in the future who's got legitimate speed um, you have to be careful because those 10-15 yards can end up being 20-25 and occasionally you can break a big one so I assume the Eagles will get in the film room this week they will talk to their edge defenders and look at how they can improve. This is a totally random point, but I wonder if some of it is they're playing a lot of snaps still. I know it's post-bye week, but is there not just physical fatigue, but mental fatigue? Um, when you're only playing 30, 40 snaps a game, you're focusing on a very specific thing. They're asking too much of their edge defenders in general at the moment, and we've said it all season. I don't think it's going to change because I don't see anything from Nolan Smith or Derek Barnett that proves they're ready. In fact, Brandon Graham has struggled to set the edge this year at times, partly because he's just too slow um, sometimes. So I think maybe it's a combination of things, but it was a bit odd. I don't know if you think any saw anything different to me, or it's maybe it's pretty basic analysis. Just set the edge. The only thing I could come up with. Uh, committed podcaster sin number one there i forgot to unmute my mic uh the only thing i could think of was you know last week when we did the self-scouting podcast i talked about maybe sacrificing a little bit of that playing the run to turn your pass rushers loose again and except on all three of these they were going inside not going upfield so i don't really think that that's what it was um you wouldn't particularly be concerned about the chiefs run rushing attack because it hasn't been very good this year uh so i don't know maybe it's just a little bit of sloppiness a, a little bit of coming out of the bye 15 days without a game but i can't really figure out what was going on on those either yeah i saw something post game i can't remember who from that said exactly that um uh they said something like i can't remember who it was but i saw a tweet or it might have even been um, something I listened to online that said something like, oh, well, that's what happens when you get upfield against the Chiefs. But it wasn't. It wasn't upfield. It was the opposite of upfield. It was it was going inside. So that's I thought that's not correct analysis in that situation because it, it wasn't they were desperately trying to bend the edge and get pressure. They were tr trying to make a play that was unlike them. And again, that's where I go back to maybe mental fatigue, physical fatigue, the two things combining. Um, I don't know. Uh, but it wasn't very good. Um Right, should we get into our final points? So I'll I'll finish today because I want to talk about something a little bit different and I think this ties in nicely to run defense. So do you want to talk a little bit about Jordan Davis? Because I think this does tie in slightly 
to my theme of run defense being a little bit weak as well. Yeah, I, Jordan Davis's snap count was back up. That's something we talked about last week. He played 37 snaps. Uh, it's the most snaps he's played since the Jets game. Uh, second most snaps he's played this season. So you're coming out of the bye. He plays a really high snap count. Hopefully that means the hamstrings not bothering him anymore. Uh, hopefully that means we're past that. Although I still fear him wearing down over the season. I just didn't think he was as effective in the run game. Now, PFF disagrees with me for what that's worth. They rated him higher as a run defender uh, than they did against either Dallas or Washington about the same as in the Miami game. I just didn't see it. Like I thought there were a lot of times that he wasn't able to stand his ground against double teams. And instead he was retreating a yard or two, or even when he was blocked by one guy, he was unable to just like blow that up. Now, there's still some splash plays he made. Like there's one where he like one arm, like shucks a guy off into the gap. And so there's still those moments. I just thought down in and down out. He wasn't as consistently influencing the running game or the passing game. I mean, I, I, he was, I didn't really notice him at all in the passing game. And the Eagles got a ton of pressure on Patrick Mahomes. They pressured him on like 64% of his dropbacks. I just didn't see Jordan Davis really affecting the game much in any way. And, we you want to see him take a big leap and getting one pressure in 18 pass rushing snaps and not really making plays on the deep run defense and a nose tackle isn't always going to like stuff the stat sheet but he just wasn't disruptive on the interior from what i watched and so that's a little concerning coming out of a bye week like this is the freshest he will be the rest of the season and i just didn't think he made much of an impact well, good news. Uh, I agree with you over PFF. So we haven't spoken about Jordan Davis. Um, I think actually you summed that up perfectly, if I do if I do say so. Um, he did have a few splash plays. So I remember watching yesterday and thinking, oh, there was a player. I can't remember the play it was when he completely mauled the offensive lineman, made a tackle. And I thought, ah, oh, Jordan Davis is back. But actually, he wasn't. And I watched him quite closely in this game. And he's just not playing as well. And it's a concern I've had for ages, even going back to the offseason. I'm not saying I'm right, because I think I was clearly wrong about Jordan Davis. He has massively outperformed what I thought this year. Um, but a, a sign that I think he's not playing that well is the lack of pass rush. So the start of the year, he was getting after the quarterback. Like, he was doing it all. He was not just... Um, stopping the run now he's the pass rush is gone like the pass rush was not non-existent in this game and he had snaps where he was getting double teamed um there was one snap in particular i can't remember the rushing play um but i remember it very clearly i watched it a few times and they double teamed him and then the, the left guard got to the second level and i remember thinking that's exactly what you do not want jordan davis doing his job is to take two defenders he cannot let the um left guard get to the second level if once he gets one on one with that center he has got to wreck him and he didn't um so i would agree with you um i think you summed it up nicely i think jordan davis has to be a concern not because he's bad but because he's such a big part of his defense if he doesn't play well enough i think the run defense will struggle and my big big concern with him is still does he get worse as the season goes on this is going to be a constant theme because that was the first game after the bye week and if the eagles get to the super bowl they're going to have a lot of games in a row. Hopefully not a wild card round, but they're going to play a lot of big games coming up, and I think he's going to be needed. Um, so I think that is a little bit of a concern. We've been going an hour, as we always do. So I'm going to wrap it up with my final point, uh, 
which is a bit of a weird one. But I think something that you can't ignore in this game, and I've seen comments online about it, the Eagles were lucky. The Eagles, the Eagles had some luck. Like, they got lucky on defense. As if, I'm not going to show you a few of the drops the Chiefs had. The Justin Watson won, actually, on third and four. I thought that was harsh to call that a terrible drop because that ball was in a right in between two linebackers and Zach Cunningham was about to hit um, Justin Watson hard. So I, in some ways, would put that down to good defense as well as a bit of luck. The obvious player they had luck on was, I actually don't have a clip of this and you might, um, was the fourth and 25 one that Justin Watson dropped. Um, that was terribly played by the Eagles. I mean, stop covering the sideline. The spacing's all wrong. And that ball should have been completed. Um, this is an unbelievable throw by Patrick Mahomes. Um, the spacing is all wrong. I don't know what the cornerback's doing on the far left. Um, Sidney Brown is sort of bored, uh, sort of watching his man a little bit too much and he's too slow to react. And you know what? Massive credit goes to Darius Slay in this play because he actually reads this all the way. He doesn't get PI and he hits him exactly when he needs to. So I give Slay huge credit for that play. But Eagles got a bit lucky there. And then the Eagles obviously got lucky on um, play, uh, was it 10? Um, on my film, Fred. Uh, no, it was not. It was not play 10. It was whenever, play 12, play 12. Um, when MVS just drops the ball wide open. Um, I think they make a huge mistake here. I don't really understand what happens, but they end up triple covering Travis Kelsey, which they obviously are not supposed to do. I think I saw you say this online and I agree with you. I would assume that Bradley Roby thinks he's getting deep help here. Um, but my point was more about this is why we look at process and not just results. The Eagles got a bit of luck, but I don't care. I liked the overall game plan. They brought a lot of different stuff at Mahomes. They blitzed him a lot, and Mahomes normally kills the blitz. And you know what? I'm okay with it. Sometimes you get a bit lucky. Sometimes blitzing him can have psychological effects. He may predict a blitz from coming. The Eagles bought six-man pressures, five-man pressures, simulated pressures. Um, they played man, they played zone, they doubled Kelsey. Sometimes they didn't double Kelsey. They played dime, they played three defensive ends. Just when you play good offenses, the Eagles... I spend a lot of money on the offense. They've got a franchise quarterback. They've got AJ Brown. Um, they are not going to be a lockdown defense. They are not going to have the resources to spend on every part of their defense. They're going to have to have some weakness at places like safety and linebacker. When you commit that money to the offense, I expect this team to be a top five offense, which means I need the defense to be good enough and get takeaways. And that's what the Eagles did. They were good enough. They made some stops. They got takeaways. And if MBS does score that, by the way, and the Eagles lose, this loss is not on the defense. So regardless of what happens, I just think the overall philosophy of the defense under Desai is so much better than under Gannon. Gannon is a very good coach, and I think you're seeing that with the Cardinals. And I think, fair enough, he knows how to coach secondary play. Um, but he needed last year a very, very, very good, talented defense to work. And when it went against him, he had no answers. Whatever you think of Sean Desai this year, and trust me, we've been critical. We were two weeks ago, as we've already mentioned, against the Cowboys. He tries different things and he has answers against different teams. And I always want a defense that has answers rather than defense that plays the same way over and over, which is why I love watching the Bengals and what they do, because they have some really good specific game plans. I think that stuff is more important than down in, down out, being consistently good. The Eagles have such an explosive offense. I need a defense that can get them. The, the other team, if they score less than 25 points or and you get two takeaways a game, uh, a few big sacks. That is what this team needs. And I'm pretty optimistic from what we've seen so far this year now. Um, a pretty good sample size. That the one thing Sean Desire will not be is predictable. 
And I do think that is a really important part of being a defensive coordinator in the modern NFL. So I thought I'd end with a little bit there on luck. Um, yes, the Eagles got a little bit lucky. I still think they win the game if the Chiefs score, by the way. Never doubt Jalen Hurts in this offense. Um, but sometimes that's okay. If you're bringing pressure, if you're bringing blitz, um, if you're bringing blitzes, if you're mixing up your coverages, things will go wrong. This defense is not perfect. There are things they need to clean up. But overall, I would say this was a big win in the column for Sean Desai and the defensive coaching staff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't get lucky on that play if the defense doesn't pitch a shutout in the second half before that and the offense doesn't score two touchdowns. You can't get lucky if Andy Reid doesn't punt on fourth and three from the 40-yard line uh, to give the Eagles the ball back. Like, There's a lot of things that go into it. And yes, like I, we tend to over-focus on one lucky play. At the end of the day, the Eagles defense really dominated this game. I mentioned it earlier. They pressured Mahomes on over 60% of his dropbacks. They allowed 22 yards per possession in the second half. They forced a fumble down in the red zone. Like, even if you even if you gave the Chiefs all four drops, the Eagles still forced like a 41% success rate. By the way, the, la the last year in the Super Bowl was like 62%. So the defense played well. The offense struggled for large portions of the game. And like we talked about, I feel better about it now than I did watching it live. Uh, overall, a win's a win. Eagles are 9-1. and one. They're about to go into this, well, not go into. They're continuing the gauntlet. Uh, you know, I said before, if they went 3-3 three and three in the six-game stretch, they'd be in really good shape to still get the one seed. They're 2-0 and oh right now, and, and the Bills come to town. I'm really interested to see, this is not a preview podcast, but Interested to see how they handle the Bills. They've shown how to handle a stud tight end. Now they get that stud number one receiver, who, by the way, has a pretty good up-and-coming rookie tight end alongside. So there's going to be two threats to deal with. Uh, I can't wait to watch that one play out. But either way, we will be back here talking about it next week. Thank you guys for joining us for this episode of On the Shane Page. If you enjoy the show, be sure you leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts likes on youtube hopefully this one will get to youtube last week there was some sort of weird data issue and it wouldn't upload but uh likes on youtube the little thumbs up comments really help it get out there to more people as well those of you celebrating thanksgiving maybe you're listening to this in the car on the way tomorrow don't be checking the film thread while you're listening but i will have that up later for you to go check out as well and so for me and johnny and all the crew here at bgn we will catch you guys next week for another episode of On the Shane Page. Go Birds! Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? 
Smart Water Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.